0: Hi, I'm Dr. Olga Pinkston, a board certified rheumatologist and the host of the Mind Your Fibro podcast. This podcast is dedicated to fibromyalgia. I discuss up-to-date information about fibro, its treatment, the biology and psychology of the fibromyalgia. I cover the pain science education, the complementary and alternative methods available to you now to improve your symptoms. There are a lot of things that influence development of fibromyalgia trigger fiber flares, and produce other symptoms like IBS or irritable bowel syndrome, depression, and anxiety, and none of them are your fault. In the Mind Your Fiber podcast, you will learn how and why fiber develops, how chronic pain changes your brain, and most importantly, that you're not alone in the struggle, that fiber is real, and how to not let fiber control your life. This podcast provides information only and does not provide any medical or psychological services or advice. Well, welcome back to Mind Your Fiber podcast, episode 25. Today, we're shifting from nutrition and starting the discussion on the importance of rest and sleep. I actually think food, fatigue, and sleep are very closely related. Studies suggest that sleep deprivation is associated with increased hunger especially cravings for snacks and sweet. Poor sleep alters ghrelin and leptin balance, leading to change in appetite. These appetite hormones become unbalanced, promoting overeating and obesity. The insulin blood glucose system or your metabolism is disrupted, promoting insulin resistance and weight gain. When we are sleep-deprived or physically or mentally fatigued, we tend to make poor eating choices And we tend to eat more comfort foods and things that our brain perceives as a way to increase energy, like coffee, chocolate, or simple carbs. When the brain is tired, it loses inhibition and starts lacking control over the decisions. Also, the nutrient brain uses for energy is glucose. When we are mentally or physically tired, but not hungry, the brain may perceive fatigue as lacking energy or nutrients. So, it is not surprising that we crave foods that eventually convert to glucose, such as simple carbs. But there is another component to fatigue and eating, our habits. If we are too tired to participate in activities, we may get FOMO, or fear of missing out, regret, and may start buffering our feelings using food. We may also have a ritual of what we eat or drink when we are mentally or physically exhausted. It can be a cup of coffee in the afternoon, a Diet Coke at 3 p.m., or a glass of wine after a stressful and tiring day of work. So when you're reaching out for yet another cookie or bowl of ice cream at 10 p.m., start asking yourself gently curious questions. Why? Am I eating because it's a habit? Am I eating to numb some uncomfortable feelings? Is the craving comes because my brain is tired and wants to sleep? but I override it and continue watching Netflix? Am I eating to delay bedtime or procrastinate, like my 5-year-old who wants to eat or drink right as he's ready for bed? To make smarter food choices, we need to talk about sleep. But ultimately, sleep has many, many benefits besides eating. The immune function is compromised. We see increased rate of infections, issues with tissue repair, etc. Also, the gut health is disrupted. Decrease the diversity and health of the microbiome. The gut immune system is also reduced. Sleep also plays a significant role in regulating pain and many other symptoms of aromyalgia, especially fatigue and brain fog. Most of the patients I see in my clinic have problems with sleep. Either they can't fall asleep or stay asleep or both, have hypersomnia or excessive sleepiness, and also have sleep disorders such as sleep apnea or insomnia. Poor sleep and or sleep disorder is actually a risk factor of developing fibromyalgia, implicated in triggering fibro flares, and is a major contributor to the fiber disability. So this is why I'm spending so much time going over the health trinity, nutrition, sleep, and exercise, the foundation of health. All of them will play a significant role in your recovery. But sleep is special. Physical and mental impairment caused by one night of poor sleep is more significant than an equivalent absence of food or exercise. This is so true. We don't feel super bad after eating one unhealthy meal or skipping one day of exercise, but just one night of poor sleep or sleeping out of your normal routine can disrupt your life and feeling of well-being for days after. Emerging science shows that sleep is the most effective thing we can do to reset our brain and body health each day. Sleep is not the opposite of wakefulness. Sleep is an essential physiologic state that is required for health and longevity. Some body functions can only occur when you sleep. So, how much sleep do you need? Well, it depends on your age. Infants between ages of 0 to 3 months need about 14 to 17 hours of sleep per day. Older infants ages 4 to 11 months need less time, 12 to 15 hours a day. Toddlers ages 1 to 2 years need about 11 to 14 hours a day. Preschool children ages 3 to 5 need about 10 to 13 hours a day. School age children ages 6 to 13 need about 9 to 11 hours a day. Teenagers ages 14 to 17 require 8 to 10 hours each day. While most adults need 7 to 9 hours, although some people may need less or more, so between 6 to 10 hours per day. If you're an older adult ages 65 and older, you may find yourself sleeping less, and you need about 7 to 8 hours of sleep each day. If you're a woman in the first trimester of pregnancy, you will need to sleep more than usual. So what makes us sleep? What influences our sleep and creates the sleep-wake cycle? Sleep is actually more complicated than passing out of exhaustion at the end of the day. If you have ever raised a baby, you know how fragile the sleep system is and how babies have an internal clock regulating their time to sleep, eat, and play. Oh boy, if that rhythm is screwed up, a baby may reverse the days and nights or become inconsolable at bedtime, and no rocking will put you to sleep. But somehow, adults think that sleep is not as essential as the sleep of the baby. So we need to look at the sleep and recognize the importance and complexity of our sleep. So we have two things that influence our sleep when we wake up, and when we go to sleep. First is circadian rhythm, and second is sleep pressure. So let's talk about the circadian rhythm. Most of us heard about it in the hormone melatonin that plays a major role in keeping the circadian rhythm going. Circadian rhythm is a physical, mental, and behavior changes that follow a 24-hour cycle. There are actually numerous peripheral circadian clocks throughout the human body that drive the circadian rhythms. A master circadian pacemaker, also called the circadian clock, is in the brain's hypothalamus, and it synchronizes and controls the timing of these peripheral circadian clocks, so they work well together. The body's sleep hormone, melatonin, and the stress hormone cortisol levels typically follow a regular 24-hour circadian rhythm or pattern. Melatonin eases you into sleep and helps you stay asleep, while cortisol helps you get up and keeps you awake. Circadian rhythm promotes sleepiness before usual bedtime, helps initiate sleep, and begin promoting wakefulness before the usual wake up time in the morning. Circadian rhythms also regulate many physiological and behavior processes related to hormones, body core temperature, eating, digesting food production of urine, and mood and emotions. Circadian rhythms prepare your body to expect when to wake up, be active, eat, sleep, your internal alarm system. Circadian rhythms get orientation from the light-dark cycle, artificial lights, repeating activities at the same time, like eating, temperature, exercise, social activities that are done at the same time. But daylight is the strongest and most reliable signal your brain uses to reset this clock. Circadian rhythm synchronizes activities, sleep, feeding, and temperature around the sun and earth. So wakefulness and sleep are under control of the circadian rhythm, not the way, not the other way around. The circadian rhythm will not change if you don't sleep, but it will be shifted by having regular schedule and exposure to light. But everyone's circadian rhythm is not the same. We have morning larks. About 40% of us wake up around dawn and function better in the morning. Evening, about 30% of people naturally pref- going to bed late. Night owls. And we have about 30% of people are, who are in between. Slight preference for later, but not too late. Circadian rhythm is determined by genetics and kept by practice. The circadian rhythm will continue to go through the cycles even if you're awake. We see this in the shift workers, working early shifts or late night shifts, or when we are forcing ourselves to stay up, watching TV or taking the red eye. The brain uses melatonin, a hormone and a chemical messenger, to communicate to other body organs signals of day and night. Darkness prompts the pineal gland in your brain to, To start producing melatonin, while light causes the production to stop. Melatonin naturally rises after dusk, letting the body know it's getting dark. Melatonin helps regulate the timing of when sleep occurs. It tells the body it's dark, but melatonin does not generate sleep. Melatonin signals the brain and other organs, it's time for bedtime routine, and sleep nine functions. Melatonin peaks around 4 a.m. After it peaks, the amount of melatonin gradually decreases. It is undetectable by early to mid-morning. And the absence of melatonin signals that sleep time is over. Cortisol helps you get up and keep you awake. Once you're waking up, the cortisol surge continues for about 30 to 45 minutes before returning to baseline after an hour or so. Don't be fooled that you can just take melatonin at bedtime and have a good night's sleep. It is an intricate balance between the amount of hormones and the timing of the release and decrease in other hormones and body processes. This rhythm is controlled by a small part of the brain known as the circadian pacemaker that is powerfully influenced by light exposure. When light enters the eye, it is sensed by a particular group of cells on the retina. Then it is carried to the brain and interpreted as information about the time of day. The brain then sends signals throughout the body to control organs and other systems in accordance to to that time of day. When exposed to only natural light, a person's circadian rhythm becomes closely synchronized with sunrise and sunset, staying awake during the day and sleeping when it's dark. So this is why it's important to wake up on time, open up your curtains, not spend all day in the dark watching TV, taking a walk, or just sit outside exposing your eyes, retina to sunlight for a short time every day. But also, the exposure to artificial lights at the wrong time messes up the sleep schedule by affecting the circadian rhythm. There is a health and hormonal consequences when you override your biology and continue watching TV, surfing social media on your phone, or playing computer games after sunset when your body is regulated by your hormones to wind down and sleep. Artificial lights, especially the blue light of technology, are powerful triggers that can mess up the circadian rhythm. So if you want to promote better sleep, wake up early, get light exposure, avoid electronics past 8 p.m. or about 2 hours before sleep, avoid bright lights before bedtime in general, and have a routine, same schedule of waking up and going to bed, time for meals, etc. These routines will regulate the circadian pacemaker and help your body reset. Now, let's talk about the second system we have that regulates sleep, the sleep pressure. The pressure to fall asleep or the homeostatic sleep drive that builds up in the body as the wake time increases. The pressure gets stronger the longer we stay awake and decreases during the sleep, reaching a low after a full night of good quality sleep. Think of it as a pressure cooker. The longer it's on, the higher the pressure, and once it reaches a critical point, you feel the strong urge to sleep. The urge, just like the circadian rhythm, can be overridden by your thoughts, the brain cortex, up to a point. The override helps us stay awake when there is a need, like an emergency, or when you need to catch a flight, but up to a point. I remember staying up for my 36-hour shift in residency. Functioning, but that was not easy. We'll all experience a very strong urge to sleep, like put me down now or I'll bust. But we probably don't experience it that often because we don't wait that long to sleep. So the brain builds up this pressure from the moment you awake, which is accomplished by a chemical called adenosine. Sleep pressure arises from the accumulation of adenosine in the brain. Every moment you are awake, the more adenosine you accumulate. High amounts of adenosine turn up the sleep areas of the brain and turn down the activity areas of the brain. When adenosine peaks, you get an irresistible urge to sleep. It usually happens after about 12 to 16 hours past awake time. Well, when we can't override the sleep pressure by our conscious thoughts, we can reduce it by consuming caffeine. Caffeine is an adenosine blocker. It blocks the exact chemical that builds up in the brain as you stay awake. Caffeine is a psychoactive stimulant. It attaches to the same receptor in the brain as adenosine, but does not stimulate the brain and does not make you sleepy. Caffeine tricks you into feeling more alert temporarily. Adenosine keeps accumulating even though it cannot reach receptors blocked by caffeine. The peak of caffeine is 30 minutes, but the half-life, or 50% of caffeine still present in the body, is about 5 to 7 hours. So a cup of coffee that you drink at 7.30 in the morning at 5 hours will be 12.30 in the afternoon. At that time, 50% of coffee is still active in your brain. Once the caffeine falls off receptor, you feel the effect of the accumulated adenosine, blocked and produced. But remember, caffeine is not just in coffee. Many foods contain caffeine in various amounts, from chocolate in energy drinks to chocolate milk you may drink before bedtime. So recognizing and adjusting the amount of caffeinated drinks and foods you eat can improve your sleep. So, circadian rhythms and sleep pressure system are separate and distinct systems that do not influence each other, but but they are aligned. Both hormones, melatonin and cortisol, and adenosine and sleep pressure coordinate wakefulness and sleep. So, if you're not having a regular sleep schedule and rely on caffeine to stay awake and don't see the sunlight, guess what? Both systems are dysregulated and need to be adjusted separately. So drink coffee about 12 hours before you plan to go to sleep. Get plenty of sunlight in your eye and keep the regular sleep schedule. So the circadian rhythm and the sleep pressures regulate your wake and sleep time. But we also have the actual sleep. And sleep is not just falling asleep and staying asleep. It has its own controls and it's not simple. We sleep in 90 minute increments. And the increments are actually divided into s- stages of sleep. We have non REM sleep and the REM sleep. We have actually five stages of the actual sleep the awake phase, falling asleep phase, light sleep, deep sleep, and REM sleep. They all serve a purpose and need to be up and running properly. For you to have a proper quality sleep. During the non-REM stages, your body builds bones and muscles, it repairs and regulates tissues, it strengthens the immune system, and as you age, you get less and less non-REM sleep. Older sleep gets less deep sleep than younger people. REM sleep, or rapid eye movement sleep, plays an important role in dreaming, memory, emotional processing, and healthy brain development and function. So we have several stages of non-REM sleep, the following sleep stage, light sleep, and deep sleep. So the first stage of non-REM sleep is actually a wake stage. You just went to bed and you're still awake. During the other cycles through the night, you still will wake up just for a little bit, just enough to go to the bathroom or shift and move. It takes about 5-10 to minutes to fall asleep if you don't have any problems falling asleep. Everything starts to slow down, including your eye movement and muscle activity, your eyes stay closed, and if you awaken from stage 1 or awake stage, you may feel like you haven't slept. Stage 2 is slight sleep. It lasts about 10 to 25 minutes, but the majority of the sleep cycle, or 40 to 50 percent of our sleep, is actually spent in light sleep. Your heart rate slows down, your body temperature drops, eye movement stops, your body is getting ready for deep sleep. Periods of muscle tone, muscle partially contracting, mixed with periods of muscle relaxation, happen at this time. Brain waves become slower. Stage two is important for memory, learning, and motor skills. Getting sufficient light sleep is essential to meeting your overall sleep needs. Stage 3 is deep sleep. About a quarter of your sleep time should be in deep sleep. It lasts between 45 to 90 minutes. It lasts for longer periods in the first half of the night and becomes shorter with each sleep cycle. You have no eye movement and no muscle activity. You're dead asleep. Muscle tone, pulse, and breathing rate decreases as your body relaxes even further. The brain activity during this period has an identifiable pattern known as the delta waves on EEG. It's hard for somebody to wake up during this time. If you've been woken up, you may feel groggy and disoriented for a few minutes. This is also the stage when sleepwalking, night terrors, and bedwetting occurs. This is the stage when the body repairs and regrows tissues, builds up bone and muscle and strengthens your immune system. Deep sleep helps the brain create and store new memories and improves the ability to collect and recall information. This stage of sleep also helps the brain rest and recover from the day of thinking, allowing it to replenish energy in the form of glucose for the next day. The last stage of sleep is called REM or rapid eye movement phase. It lasts between 10 and 60 minutes. It starts about 90 minutes after you fall asleep. And the first REM period is short, about 10 minutes, but each cycle has longer REM periods. Remember, the deep sleep is opposite. The first deep sleep is longer and it decreases through the night. The REM is is short in the beginning, but each cycle has longer REM periods. During REM sleep, there is an increased brain activity and muscle relaxation. The brain activity increases again, sleep is not as deep. The activity levels of your brain is similar to when you are awake. This is why REM sleep is a stage when you will have increased dreams. At the same time, major muscles that you normally control, such as arms and legs, can't move. In fact, they become temporarily paralyzed. So your brain is awake, but your body is resting. Rapid eye movement, your eyes move around rapidly in in different directions, but they don't send any visual information to your brain. RAM plays an important role in dreaming, memory, emotional processing, and healthy brain function. So we're talking about normal sleep patterns, but any of these stages of sleep can be disrupted. Some people may may not have enough REM sleep. Some people don't get into deep sleep or don't stay in a deep sleep long enough. So the sleep study will analyze the quality of sleep. And if you have excessive fatigue, or you snore, or you have excessive sleepiness during the day, the sleep study and sleep analysis by a sleep specialist may help you determine what sleep disturbances are affecting your sleep. As you can tell, sleep is not only a very important part of your health, it is also a complicated one. The melatonin and circadian rhythm, the adenosine and the sleep pressure and the non-REM and REM stages of sleep cycles all play an important role, but can easily be dysregulated by the environment, medications or substances like caffeine. But more importantly, and probably most devastating, your free will, your ability to override the system and stay awake past your scheduled and biological bedtime. Well, I hope this episode did not put you to sleep, and you found useful information. As always, thank you for listening, and I will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, the best thing you can do is to share with someone and leave a review and rating. This helps me support more people, just like you, move toward better life with fibromyalgia. All you have to do is to go to the platform you're listening on click the share button or the icon and just send it to a friend. I so appreciate you taking your time to do so. Make sure you sign up or subscribe to this podcast so you can get the most up-to-date information in the new episodes. Thanks for joining me today and I will see you next week. And don't forget to mind your fibro. Disclaimer, this podcast provides information only and does not provide any medical or psychological services or advice. None of the content on this podcast prevents, cures, or treats any medical or mental condition.